The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. In this time of unprecedented crisis on almost every level, our challenge is to become aware of and shed the insidious trance of destruction that has come over us. Only as we awaken can we become the spiritual warriors necessary to free ourselves and our world of this life-threatening spell and step into a prophesied golden time. Tonight's special guest will help us look within ourselves and this illness to awaken the amazing potential that Creator has given us to thrive as good stewards of this precious home planet and all our relations. Never before in human history has there been a time when we so desperately need the insights and profound wisdom. Only by developing a conscious, thriving inner spiritual life can we dispel the Watiko for good. Otherwise, we will only collude with the darkness we believe we are fighting. The projection of the shadow self scapegoating is the underlying psychological mechanism fueling Watiko. And in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, we can reframe the pandemic so as to receive the lessons and opportunities embedded in it. The power of imagination can cure the Watiko mind virus, and it is important for each of us to bring forth the creative spirit within us, which helps shed light of consciousness on Watiko, taking away its power over us, while simultaneously empowering ourselves. There are no hospitals for the virus. If we cannot acknowledge it, we can't cure it. Listen carefully to tonight's full program if you want to break free from the collective mind parasite of Wetiko. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. A pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence, Paul Levy is a wounded healer in private practice, assisting others who are also awakening to the dreamlike nature of reality. Among his books are The Quantum Revelation, a radical synthesis of science and spirituality, Dispelling Watiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, and the recently released Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus that Plagues Our World. He is the founder of the Awakening in the Dream community in Portland, Oregon. An artist, he is deeply steamed in the work of Dr. Carl Jung and has been a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner for over 35 years. He is a faculty member of the Shift Network. His website is awakenindedream.com and Paul Levy joins us directly from Portland, Oregon. Hello, Paul, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Yeah. Hey. Oh, I'm I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you, Mel. Likewise, and congratulations on the new book. Well, Paul, for the past two years, I've had this suspicion that the real virus 
is a mental one. The, the, the median death rate for the current advertised virus, which I won't name the name, is 0.27%, and that includes everyone. But I think that 99.73% of the people are being affected more by fear and propaganda with the mind parasite. Is there a connection between Wetiko, the mind virus, and what we are currently experiencing worldwide? Oh, there's a total connection. You know, in my new book, the last section in the book is all about um, COVID. I, I spoke the name and um, and the, the mind virus, Watiko, the Watiko mind virus. And yeah, I would say that the global pandemic is the mind virus. It's the actual physical manifestation of the mind virus. And that the real virus that we should be afraid of is the mind virus. And that's what's potentially taking down our species. And it's feeding off of fear and polarization and separation. And um, and our minds get get disoriented and deranged. And um, what Watiko is, it was a Native American term, it's that it's really a collective psychosis. And we are in the middle of a massive collective psychosis, this psychic epidemic of titanic proportions. And so it's the real thing we should be concerned about. And what's happening in the pandemic if you see the pandemic through a certain lens, it can help you to see the mind virus because the mind virus works through our blind spots, through our unconscious, through the projective tendencies of the mind in such a way that it hides itself from being seen and we unwittingly become an instrument to act it out in the world. So that's one of the major parts of my book is really helping people to see that what's playing out, um, you know, and I can say more about that, what's playing out in the global pandemic is Watiko, is the mind virus, and it can help us to see the mind virus. This is our third interview, and I wanted to refresh the memory of our listeners about what Watiko is in a nutshell, and you just did. But what is Watiko's origin? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question, and I've contemplated that throughout my books on Watiko. And there are all these theories, like some people think, oh, negative ET or a collective trauma. Um, other people think, oh, it's just built into the fabric of the universe. And I certainly have no idea. I mean, I've studied so many different theories about that. But the thing which is important is that Watiko, it's actually being created in this moment by us or not. In other words, we're participating in, in its genesis each and every moment we're colluding with it. And um, that's the important point that it's something that we're participating in creating Watiko. It's this dreamed up phenomena that we're all collectively dreaming up into our world. And um, that's the, that's the real point um, where we can get in, we can get our hands into the virus in a way to really to access its gifts because encoded in the virus is its own vaccine is its own medicine it's actually helping us to wake up but if we don't if you don't recognize what it's revealing to us then it just is programmed to destroy us and so my whole work is trying to help people to see this mental virus um because if we don't see it well then we're doomed I wanted to leave that, what you just said, till the end. We'll dissect that part, what you said, that the virus has its own vaccine embedded into it. But what you said yeah, about the blindness, so important. Many people go through life, Paul, 
with a physical or a mental condition, and sometimes they ignore them, thinking that it's just, it's going to go away on its own. But in fact, it might get worse. But where Tico has infected us all, I believe, don't we have to snap out of our denial, see the disease, acknowledge it, name it, and try to understand how it operates so as to ascertain how they deal with it, who will have to deal with it? Doesn't the cure begin by identifying the problem, in this case, seeing Wetiko? Yeah, well, that's exactly right, because Wetiko is this blindness. It's a peculiar form of blindness that doesn't know it's blind. And not only that, it thinks it's more sighted than people who actually have sight. And not only that, it can't see its own darkness. It can't see the shadow in oneself. It always projects it out onto others. And not only that, it can't see its own light. So it's an all-around blindness. And when we're afflicted with it, we don't know we're blind. Okay? So what that means is that the first step in healing this disease of the psyche is to recognize that we're blind, is to actually see that we're blind in a certain way. And if we don't see that, then there there's no hope. But then the next step is to begin to see the mental virus. And it's not something that you see as an object uh, with you as a subject. It's not that type of seeing. People have said to me, oh, I, I, I've seen Watiko and it's like a flying fish or an amoeba. And, and I, I just shake my head because the idea is, is Watiko, it's formless and yet it can take on any form. Okay. So the point is, is to not see it as you know in a particular form and think that's it because that's the fall under its spell but to understand that its origin and its solution is to be found within the psyche and so what my whole work is about is trying to show people how to see it so as an example if if i'm preaching the light to somebody whose eyes are blind then who's the one who's blind it's me it's a way better strategy to try to teach people the art of seeing. And so, um, of course, the question becomes, well, how do you do that? How do you, you know, how do you teach people the art of seeing? So in conclusion, you see, to begin to see what Tico involves a number of things. And I, I'm happy to talk about that. That's what my work is about. But on the one hand, you, you know, it's an inner disease of the soul that actually operates through the medium of the outside world. So it can actually extend itself out in the external world, configure events so as to reflect the inner condition of a psyche under its thrall. And at the same time, it operates, covertly operates through our unconscious reactions to when we see evil and when we see what you go out there, we react. And if we don't assimilate our reaction and add consciousness to it, but just indulge in it and act it out, then we become a vector for Watiko. So seeing Watiko involves seeing how it operates through the non-local field, how it configures events in the outer world, and simultaneously how it actually informs our inner reactions. That's the begin to see Watiko. You had your own personal experience, and I remember we discussed this in detail, the whole story, during our first interview. And you even wrote a book titled Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father. Have you extracted Watiko out of your life? And if so, how? And how does one contract this mind virus? Yeah, well, 
how one contracts it, we all already have it, it in that it pervades the collective unconscious of our species. So we all have it potential. It's the same, you know, the same thing to think of, oh, who among us has not acted out their unconscious? I mean, we all have. We all have a propensity to fall asleep for a certain moment and act something out. And the same thing with Watiko. We all have a tendency to, you know, you know, to act out Watiko in small ways. So in a sense, it, it's already in us. We, 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 our species, in a way, has been infected. But that's not a bad thing. Because Watiko, it's catalyzing our evolution. It's helping us to wake up. If it didn't exist, we'd have to invent it because it's serving us. You know, it's a quantum phenomena. It has a superposition of states. It's both the deepest poison and the greatest, you know, sublime gift and blessing. So the idea of, like, for me, I became aware of it in my personal life. And I, I won't go into the story, but just there was this 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 abuse stuff that played out with my father or with, you know, a trauma and um and all of a sudden my boundaries had gotten so obliterated just energetically that it was as if i got a transfusion of the watiko virus into my very being and it was wanting to take me over and make me its host and and that's been a process i've been in over 40 years and where i more and more have been able to transmute that watiko energy that wanted to destroy me into my work. I mean, that's the idea that I was able to turn it into medicine, sort of like an alchemist, and I'm still a work in progress. I mean, you know, it's only been 40 years. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but it's been 24-7 every day that I've, you know, had to deal with this process in one way or the other, and I'm just fortunate that I've been able to turn it into into creativity. Are you saying that what Tico is... The epitome of duality. In other words, you have uh, uh, good and evil all together, and it's the lesson for us to take a choice. Well, yeah, it, it's like when I was saying that Watiko is a quantum phenomena. In that, you know, it reminds me of alchemy. The god image in alchemy is Mercurius, and Mercurius is, you know, I think of in the collective works. Young describes. Mercurius as he's found in the gutters. He's the total darkest evil and the most sublime God all in one being. And just like with light, how you observe light determines how it manifests as a light, as a wave or a particle. The same thing with Watiko, how you observe it, how you relate to it, that determines if it's going to manifest as the deepest evil imaginable or as the highest light. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very peculiar phenomena. It's a quantum phenomena that contains both of the opposites superposed on, you know, and into each other and how it manifests. It's totally in potential either way. And it depends on us. If I didn't know any better, Paul, I would say that, the elite, the propaganda machine, and even our own governments are spreading this collective psychosis, or at least part of it, because it's in nature. Uh, perhaps it's a, and we'll discuss the concept of interdimensional beings and known locality and all that stuff, but they're spreading this collective psychosis. How does Watiko spread? Yeah, well, it's contagious, you know, and it's just like a virus can be contagious. This mind virus is incredibly contagious. When, when you hang out with somebody who's under its spell, 
and you're open to them, it starts to evoke a similar point of view in your own mind you, without you even knowing it. And then you get into alignment with the person under the spell and you start seeing things similarly and all that. And you're totally right. I mean, the elite, <clears throat> the mainstream media, our government, those are all organs, you know, for propaganda for the Watiko virus. But the thing I want to point out is that, you know, say the the powers that be, the people who, you know, of influence, they themselves are victimized by Watiko, even though they might be the ones, you know, purposely trying to create division and polarization, you know, which feeds Watiko. But they themselves are just pawns in the hands of the deeper archetype, you know, and the archetype, just to remind people, is formless. And when an archetype all of a sudden is constellated, is activated, we we understand that an archetype is activated by its effects. We never, there's no one who's ever seen an archetype directly, similarly how no one's ever seen an atom, but we infer its existence by its effects. The same thing with what I'm talking about, this mental virus that's invisible and formless that exists in our mind um, and exists in the collective unconscious, we actually can trace it back via its effects. So the people, you know, the, the billionaires, the elite, who are actually the ones who are, you know, trying to divide us and divide and conquer type of thing, they, like I'm saying, they themselves are merely, or are just pawns in the hands of the deeper archetype. So in a way, it's a cosmic, in a way, struggle versus good and evil. And, um, but the origin of that is inside of us. It's playing out inside of our minds. Recently, a dear friend and guest of this program, Greg Caton, passed away. He said, we live in a psychopathocracy. If that is the case, Watiko is being spread by psychopaths. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, it's interesting how people who have psychopathic tendencies tend to be attracted to positions of power. So you would get no argument from me that the the people who are higher up in you know the corporate world in government are are um are not well let's put it that way and have psychopathic tendencies if not you see the thing about watiko being a, a transpersonal archetypal energy this daimonic energy it can literally possess a person and somebody could become so taken over by watiko that they become watiko's outpost so they become unwittingly an instrument for the mind virus to act itself out in the world. And, and they're oblivious to it. They have no idea. And they can appear really, you know, loving and compassionate because, yeah, if they just, if it was obvious that they were taken over by something evil, then they could never get away with the murder that they do. So, but it's an important point to understand that what Tico can possess an actual individual at a certain moment in time or for the rest of their lives, and it can possess a group of people or a nation or a species. We've all heard about the Manchurian candidate where leaders, wink, wink, become a puppet or a marionette. Who or what is commanding this puppet? Yeah, well, right. And, and that question, who or what, I mean, that's a good way to phrase the question because... You know, I can easily think of of so many so many leaders who fall into that category who I just see are are puppets 
you know, on a string that are being manipulated by some sort of deeper force. And it goes back to that same thing I'm pointing at. You know, yeah, there might be people, actual individuals behind the scene who are influencing that politician, but they themselves, like I keep on saying, are just they're marionettes in the form who are being manipulated by the deeper formless archetype. And that's and that's, you know, that's what because one way to think about what it's a higher dimensional energy, you know, that actually informs and gives shape to the third dimension. But it only has power over us to the extent that it's not seen. And that's why my whole work is is again and again trying to help people and point it out to people to help them to see it. Yes, you know, the mental health profession, especially psychiatry, has grown in the past few decades. And according to some reports I get here, it will grow 13% by the year 2030. Do you think Watiko is creating this demand for psychiatry and psychiatrists? Oh, totally. I mean, you know, in my, well, first off, it's not my opinion. I mean, it's a known fact. It's undeniable. You can prove it if you do the research that um, the biggest criminal enterprise in the U.S. is big pharma. Okay. And um, so, and, and key, and also just to out myself and to contextualize my answer, I had a huge life-transforming spiritual awakening. We, we've spoken about it before, and you know this was in 1981, and and I got as soon as I got in the hands of psychiatry because people thought I was having a psychotic break, they they would have killed me. I mean, if I would have subscribed to their treatment. And they were diagnosing me as being mentally ill, and I was going to have this mental illness for the rest of my life, and I'd have to be on medication till my dying breath. If I would have subscribed to their point of view, A, it would have killed me, but B, from their point of view, it would have been, oh, here's another successful treatment. Because the fact that I didn't agree with them, they that just that fed into their diagnosis of, oh, clearly he's mentally ill. He's in denial of his mental illness. Well, here I am 40 years later, not having had any episode, you know, in quotes since then, because I figured out how to navigate between the worlds of, of consensus reality and, you know, a more like mystically enlightened realm, so to speak. And I've been able to fluidly go back and forth between the two and be very grounded and pay my bills and, and live my life and, have access to what I tapped into in the spiritual awakening, you know, and, you know, happening to manage to create a whole body of work that's helping people all over the world. But according to psychiatry, oh, no, that was impossible because I had this mental illness, you know, that I was going to have for the rest of my life. So big pharma and psychiatry, I mean, it's an expression of the depth of how Watiko pervades our world in that the mental health community is so infected with Watiko. I mean, I'll give you an example. Just recently, I spoke to a group of psychologists, you know, and they were getting credit for, you know, for like continuing education. And so they paid me all this money to come and speak to them about my work. And there was a good friend of mine who was one of them. And he then shared with me afterwards that, oh, they were in agreement that I'm just completely mentally ill. And, and, and I laughed. And where 40 years ago, that would have hooked me. And, you know, I would have taken it on to some degree and felt wounded. 
where to me it was so healing just to think, wow, they're just complete idiots. They just have no idea. And the fact that they're the leaders in the field of psychology, I mean, that really gives me pause, you know. And so the fact that psychiatry and mental health system and big pharma is so asleep and corrupted, um, absolutely. How can that not create illness in people who then go to help to those systems? And yeah, I have a lot. I could, I mean, I could write 10 books about this because keep in mind, it destroyed my family when I had the awakening and then psychiatry then came in and diagnosed me as being the problem and, and didn't recognize that I was having an awakening and just pathologized me with an illness I didn't have. And then I was pointing out the abuse in the family and they just protected the abuser. Um, it, you know, it destroyed my entire family. I haven't had a family for, for 20 years and it's because of psychiatry. And, um, yeah, so I have a charge around this, I have to confess, but it's something that I lived through. And I'm thankful that I've seen now that my experience with psychiatry was a descent, a shamanic descent into Hades, into the underworld. And I would never have believed the insanity of what psychiatry acts out if I had read a zillion books. But having experienced it firsthand, it's, oh, my God, it, it's just mind blowing the extent of the abuse and the insanity that psychiatry plays out. This is kind of a parenthesis because I didn't expect to be discussing this, but I'm glad that we're opening this door because I'm amazed too that the average age of a practicing psychiatrist is is 55. And when you compare that to the average age of other medical specialists, they're, you know, primary care physicians, they're in their mid forties. Also, the number of specific diagnosable disorders is now 237. I wonder if they just get go along and they see somebody acting differently and they immediately put a label on it and create a new condition and match it with their toolbox with a medication. Do you think this is done every single year, discovering a new mental condition so that they can add more medicine to it? Well, I mean, it's a known, it's like this, this grimoire where they're just casting spells. Like an example for me, I had my awakening in 1981 and 1980 in the DSM three, that was the, 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 you know, the DSM where they announced the discovery of the chemical imbalance theory. So every single psychiatrist, every single one, they were all diagnosing me as having a chemical imbalance. Now, fast forward X number of years, the authors, the very authors who authored the DSM-3 that announced the chemical imbalance theory have since come out and said, oh, we have to confess there's no such thing as a chemical imbalance. We made it up. And we made it up with the, by the inspiration of the pharmaceutical companies because they wanted to sell more drugs to make more money. Now, the chemical imbalance, that's this meme that people still use like it actually exists and it's a known thing people have written books about it that you know these psychiatrists just get together and try to you know they'll vote it's like a political process they'll vote on oh should we have this you know there's a, a new diagnosis recently where if people are if they grieving for more than like i forget if it's 10 days or two weeks or something ridiculous 
well, then they have a disorder that's like their, you know, excessive grieving disorder or so. It's so absurd. And of course, big pharma, you know, who who writes the curriculum of the medical schools, by the way, sure. you know, Rockefeller's. is behind the whole thing. And so it's so diabolical. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's not even almost criminal. It is criminal. And um, yeah, so it's, um, I mean, I'm amazed. I'm so fortunate to have made it through. I mean, people who know me now, who've known me for the last 30 years would have no idea what I had to go through. It's in the early 80s that I went through my process, you know, being in and out of psychiatry. And the, it almost, it almost, I mean, like I said, it killed, it destroyed my family. It almost killed me. It almost drove me completely insane. But the whole while I was taking notes and creating maps and trying to understand. And at a certain point, I actually understood, oh, the very evil that played out through my father, because he was unwittingly an instrument for Otiko, had now shapeshifted and changed channels and was operating not just through one person, but through the psychiatric system as a whole. And I recognized, oh, it's a it's an evil energy that's non-local, it transcends space and time, and it can operate through individuals or institutions or systems like the psychiatric system. And that's when I began to recognize I didn't have the name Watiko then, but that's when I first began to recognize the Watiko mind virus. And you mentioned the SM3 back in 1980 as of December 2021, I believe it's DSM-5. And example of those categories include anxiety disorders, bipolar and related disorders, depressive disorders, feeding and eating disorders, obsessive compulsive and related disorders, and personality disorders. Incredible that they call it a disorder. Do they really even know what they are? And I wonder also, Paul, because I'm looking at all the children, teenagers using social media, using all, you know, Snapchat and everything under the sun. Their phones are like a limb to them. I wonder if this is exacerbating, ment quote unquote, mental conditions. Yeah. Oh, how could it not? I mean, people have becoming have become so addicted, particularly kids to their devices and and just you know the feedback mechanism of getting likes or whatever it is um you know that feeds into the psyche and creates certain chemicals in the brain dopamine hit point, yeah dopamine hit and then people just you know i'm an author and i can't tell you how often i hear like oh people don't read books anymore because they have such short attention spans and their critical thinking has been disabled and you know I'm, who's to say whether this is engineered or not, but it's certainly, it's an undeniable fact that it's happening. And, it, you know, it makes me really concerned for the for the young kids right now, you know, when they grow up, what they're going to be like. What you just said is so true. The shortening of the attention span. I think that's critical because critical thinking is a threat to the establishment. When everyone operates under critical thinking, they cannot be governed. They cannot be manipulated. This is why they don't want people to read books. They want them to just watch uh, the mainstream media, 30-second snippets, boom, you're good to go. Your program for the day, next. Yeah, that's totally right. And the thing which freaks me out the most, I mean, honestly, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that freaks me out these days, but, you know, I, all, I just turn it into creativity, so I'm all good. But 
the idea is, um, well, first off, the censorship. I mean, we can go into that, and that's uh, totally an expression of Watiko, and I can explain that. Um, but also, when I see, you know, I have some really close friends who I can really talk to about what's happening in the world, and, you know, we, we'll, we'll trip out over it and try to understand what's happening. But then I have a bunch of friends who are really good-hearted, loving people. They're liberal, Democrat, progressive people who I feel are completely under the spell. And um, and if I bring up, you know, if I, you know, somebody, say, a public figure who's really very adept at critical thinking, they'll just immediately just go, oh, he's crazy or he's ignorant or he's a conspiracy theorist. And it's so interesting seeing these really intelligent people having fallen under the the propaganda and the mainstream spell and meanwhile they think they're in possession of the truth you know it's just it's it's wild oh i've learned that it's not only it's not a political i've seen people from both sides of the political spectrum fall prey to this Watiko if we're talking about the mind programming that the mainstream media has given them both sides i i used to think that it was only one but in the past two years, I've learned that that's not the case. Yeah, no, totally. It, not only people have fallen under the spell of the mainstream media, but, you know, if people get really attached to an alternative view, you know, any viewpoint that if you become identified with and fixed on and attached to, and you then are in thinking you're in possession of the truth, and then you otherize the other point of view and you demonize them and scapegoat them, that polarization that just feeds Watiko, and, and that can happen on either side of the aisle, for sure. In the past, you had a conversation with the late Harvard psychiatrist, uh, very known and, and well-regarded in this program, Dr. John Mack. What did he say to you about collective psychosis? And when did you have this conversation? Obviously, before he passed away. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could have been after he passed away, but no, it was, it was before. <laughs> right. And um, maybe in the early 2000s, I think. I, I don't remember the exact date, but, you know, he had come up to Portland to visit me, to hang out, you know, because he wanted to meet me. He had heard about my work, and we have this mutual friend, like a really close friend. And so he was basically saying, he said a couple of interesting things that I've never forgotten. On the one hand, he was saying, yeah, the, so I was saying, I was asking him, how come psychiatrists aren't studying this mental virus? And I'm not even, I don't even think I had the name Watiko then, but I was talking about that there was a collective psychosis. And, and he said, well, they don't think it's in their, it's part of their purview. It's not part of their thing to be studying collective psychoses. Then he just, you know, that psychiatrist think, oh no, they're just, interested in individual abnormalities and pathologies. And, and what was so interesting to me about his answer was that, well, but wait, but we don't even exist, ultimately speaking, as an individual entity, you know, a self-enclosed, a skin-encapsulated ego. We all exist in relation to each other, and the other doesn't exist as an independent, intrinsic entity, except in relation to the rest of the universe. So there's no separate self to be found anywhere, and yet psychiatry thought it was their thing to study pathologies in a separate self that doesn't even exist. That just blew my mind. But they also thought, oh, no, it's not within our, our scope to, to study collective psychoses. And then he also said something interesting. He said to me, his definition of insanity 
is not knowing who to tell what, you know, and I realized, and we both laughed about it, that when I was having my initial awakening in 1981, I was so having my mind blown and it was so profound what I was realizing. And I was just out of my excitement and enthusiasm sharing it with psychiatrists who, of course, all they, you know, all they knew to do with what I was sharing was to pathologize me. But according to John Mack's definition, I was insane at that point because I didn't understand. No, no, no. You shouldn't cast your pearl before swine. If I'm sharing these deep mystical experiences and these these revelatory experiences that I was having with people so asleep as psychiatrists, then, you know, yeah, that was proof that I wasn't in my right mind. Let's talk about the doctor of the soul, Dr. Carl Jung, although yeah. he didn't call it Wetiko. He was tracking the essence of Wetiko, right? Oh, completely. I mean, I talk about that in my book. So he he didn't have the name. He called it a number of different names. But the main name he called it was totalitarian psychosis. And um, now think about how Wetiko or totalitarian psychosis, how it affects a mind, an individual person's mind. It, it first off, it will usurp all of the healthy parts of the psyche to serve its pathology. It will colonize the mind. It will hijack the executive function. It'll create a shadow government within our mind. It'll dictate to the ego. And so, in, you know, in such a way that the person more and more becomes an, outfo an outpost for Wetiko and they're oblivious. They have no idea. Uh, you know, and what I just described, which is within an individual person's mind, when they're afflicted with Watiko, that's actually getting reflected in the outer world. Because if you remember, what I was saying is Watiko is an inner disease of the soul that has a magical ability to configure events in the outer world so as to reflect a mind under its thrall. So think about the totalitarian forces that are insidiously creeping all over the planet and taking over. And um, that is actually reflecting the inner state of how Watiko works in our mind. And I want to point out, when you recognize that what's playing out in the outer world is, in a way, symbolically reflecting what's happening inside of us, that's to see the dreamlike nature. Because to see the dreamlike nature is, just think about it, you're in a dream, and you know, if you don't know your circumstance, you're going to think you're awake and that the world you're in is objective and real. But when you have the realization of the nature of your circumstance, i.e. that you're dreaming, what do you recognize? Oh, my God, everything that's happening in this dream world is an expression of what's happening inside of me. That's what I'm talking about. And that's one of the ways of beginning to dispel Watiko. Where exactly did the concept of Watiko begin? I know it's a Native American concept of where and from which tribe exactly. Yeah, it, it's from um, the the Cree Indians, the Algonquin, and and also they have in the Ojibwe they have equivalent terms. Does Windigo might be another term that's equivalent to uh, Watiko? And but so many Native American, um, you know these indigenous people all over the world, not just in America, but they, you see, one of the things I talk about in my new book is pointing out how every spiritual tradition from time immemorial 
that's based on having wisdom. And so many thinkers and philosophers and visionaries and creative artists, they're all pointing at Watiko, but just in their own creative way. So I'll just give you an example. It's in the apocryphal texts of the Bible. And now the apocryphal texts were, you know, way back when they were considered to be the most sacred texts that were only for the initiates. And they have a phrase called the counterfeiting spirit. And it got edited out of the actual canon of the Bible. And that's interesting because I point out in my book that Watiko was on the editorial board of the Bible and made sure that, you know, it wouldn't be exposed. Because when you see Watiko, you take away its power over you and you empower yourself. Now, this counterfeiting spirit, it precisely the way it's described in the apocryphal text, it's precisely Watiko. Because Watiko has no creativity at all, okay? But it plugs into our creativity, because our nature, we're creative beings. We're made in the image of our creator. That's our nature, is to be creative. So Watiko, not being creative at all, it plugs into our creativity, and it turns it against us. And, and what it does, being a counterfeiting spirit, it impersonates us. It puts us on. Okay, it, it tricks us into identifying with its false version of ourselves. It will offer us a fictitious, limited version of ourselves. Oh, I'm so wounded, I'm traumatized, or this megalomaniacal version, whatever. But just it, it will offer us a false version of ourselves because it can't have any impact on us at all. It's powerless over us as long as we're connected with our nature, with our true nature. So it offers us this fictitious version. And then as soon as we identify with its version of ourselves, then it has us because then it can manipulate us and it can control us. And if you think about what I just described, we've actually then given ourselves away. We've identified with who we're not and we've disassociated from our creative agency. That's a recipe for madness. And that's a really succinct description of the Watiko mind virus. What do indigenous people, you know, how do they confront or how do they eradicate Watiko or do they embrace it because it's a lesson to them? Yeah, well, on the one hand, you know, I mean, as, as a community, as a tribe, they understand that Watiko can operate through any person in the tribe who falls unconscious and can then be a threat to the tribe, you know, so they have, they have their own ways, whether they're ceremonial ways or however they deal with it, you know, to, to deal with somebody who's acting out something, um, you know, that's what in nature, but keep in mind, they were also being indigenous. They were also very connected with community with each other. And, um, you know, when they understood that there is a way of creating, creating community, you know, um, you could talk about an alchemy, the container, the hermetic vessel, there is a way of being in community because each, the community depends, the, the well-being of the, of the community as a whole and of the individuals, you know, as individual people, it all depends on having that container and having integrity in it. And that we all depend on each other for our well-being. 
So I think that was a really important part of how they dealt with Watiko is having a real strong community. And that is teaching us something because, you know, as modern people, we're so isolated from nature, from the world, from each other, from our own nature, from our own mind. And part, and of course, as soon as we're alienated, then we, we dream up the alien other, you know, we, we become afraid of people. Oh, they're, you know, they're like demons or they're crazy. And as soon as we polarize and see somebody as other, then there's fear. And as soon as there's fear, well, that's the fuel, that's the food for Watiko. And so what the indigenous cultures are really pointing at in, in their profound emphasis on the importance of community. I mean, it's really in Buddhism, they talk about the Sangha, you know, the third of the three jewels, the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, the teacher teaching and the community. And many teachers are saying that in this day and age, the, the real Buddha is the Sangha, that that's the most important of the jewel of the three jewels that we have to, you know, recognize our interconnection. You know, that we depend on each other for our own well-being. We can get in sync with each other and activate the collective actual genius that's in the field. We can, what I call, conspire to co-inspire each other. Now, that's a real conspiracy theory. But the point is we can get in phase with each other in which we can help each other to dream ourselves awake. And this is evolutionary. This is what all the madness is about. It's revealing to us that this is what we need to learn. If we don't recognize what's being revealed, then we're fated to continue to destroy ourselves. There's no doubt about that. So that's what I'm pointing out when I say that what Tico has hidden within it, this incredible gift. It's helping to catalyze the evolution of our species. But if we don't recognize that, well, then it just kills us. This may sound esoteric to some, but could Watiko be an interdimensional, non-physical, non-local nature or phenomenon? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, there's multiple, just like in a dream, there's multiple levels and dimensions in a dream and how you interpret the dream. We live in this multiverse. There's, multi, there's you know, we're just privy to the flatland of the third dimension, but there is higher dimensions of mind and of even beyond mind and of spirit. And um, the, so the thing which is interesting, you know, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot in my own process as I more and more see this is that, you know, when Watiko gets into me or you or anybody, what it will do, it's as if and I put as if in quotes because I don't want to give it this independent reality that it doesn't deserve because what Tico has no, it doesn't, it doesn't exist at all. There is no Watiko. It has no independent intrinsic existence at all from its own side. And yet it can kill us. See, that's the paradox. So the point is, is that when Watiko gets into us at a given moment, it, we will subjectively experience it as if it's some form of other autonomous independent entity. Okay. And who knows, it might even be an entity, but it has no power over us whatsoever unless, you see, it. remember what I was saying, it plugs into our creativity. So we then, it plugs into our creativity, this seeming entity, and then we actually then offer it, we participate in its genesis at that moment, and we're then investing our creativity in helping it to fulfill its agenda. But it can't do anything to us if we're not participating with it. That's what I'm pointing out. 
that the ultimate thing is to see how we're complicit with Watiko. And it has, it's like a vampire. If there's no separate beings for the vampire to feed on, the vampire just withers away. But it, it doesn't exist in an independent, objective way. It can't be alive if, there, if, if, if it was only itself and there was nothing else to feed on. No, it would die, you know? And the same thing with Watiko. And that's important because instead of people feeling afraid, oh, there's this mind virus and it wants to kill us. No, there's nothing to be afraid of at all. It doesn't exist. But if you think it doesn't exist and you just say, oh, I'm going to ignore it, well, then it'll kill you. You see, that's the paradox. It's like if there's this this um, cholera epidemic and if somebody says, oh, well, no, it's just in my mind and I'm not going to pay attention to it. Well, then it'll kill you. So you have to deal with it. But you don't want to. But what it's a little bit different because it's a higher dimensional disease. And so you don't want to just turn the blind eye, you know, um, from it and not look at it. Because then you're giving it power in your turning away, in your avoidance. You're avoiding relationship with a part of yourself. So you don't want to just turn away from it. But if you become too fascinated by it, well, then you're feeding it also. You know. So the point is to see how it operates, to see how it operates in the world through the non-local field, to see how it operates through your own unconscious reactions, to see how it operates in your mind. And then when you see it, as a sovereign being, you get to choose. You go, well, I see you now, but now I'm, as a sovereign being, I get to choose how I invest my attention, how I invest my awareness, and I'm going to invest my awareness in creating the world I want to live in. When you choose that, then Watiko dissolves. Then it has no power. With today's scientism, and we hear this name and concept all the time. It's almost like a dogma, like a religion. If Vatico is non-physical and quote-unquote science is the established authority or mechanism via the scientific method, how can we prove the existence of Vatico in today's society? Yeah. Well, for for example, people say to me, oh, this thing, a mind virus, this is woo-woo and new age and magical thinking. It just sounds crazy. What evidence do you have? And, um, you know, I mean, it makes me think of one, one, I think I tell the story in one of my books, I met a friend a number of years ago, and he asked me what I was up to. And I said, Oh, I'm writing a book about the collective psychosis. And um, he said, Well, what makes you think there's a collective psychosis going on? And, and I was speechless, I didn't know how to respond. I, I wanted to say, Well, what, what makes you think there's not a collective psychosis going on? Could you give me one piece of evidence? And the idea being, if people think, if people, well, how do you prove Watiko? Well, just think about addiction. Think about trauma. Okay. Think about how we're, we're enacting our wounds and abuse on ourselves, on each other, both in relationship, inside of our own minds, and collectively as a species. You know, if that doesn't show that there's something really off and that, you know, clearly, if there's a collective madness, the, what I'm pointing at, it's so funny because people accuse me of being so out there. And in essence, what I'm all that I'm saying is that, well, there's a collective madness that's undeniable. And the source, the essence, the solution of that madness is to be found within our minds, within our psyche. How could it be otherwise? And so... 
you know, there's there's such overwhelming evidence for the incredible collective insanity that we're acting out. And particularly, you know, in the last couple of years since the pandemic, I mean, it's like every day it just seems to get like more and more overwhelming, the craziness of it. And the danger is to, you know, stay connected to your wholeness, to yourself, because it's so easy to just split off and get into despair or depression or stress or anxiety and all those things. And then you're the one needing help. You're not going to be able to be of, of benefit for other people. So it's just really important, you know, to just, um, you know, to keep connected with your awareness, with your heart and with your creativity, because creativity is in a way the medicine to, to really transmute Watiko into something that's really positive. And I think this is why they keep everyone busy, worried, in fear, of, you know, at, at work. How many people today are wondering, we'll have a job tomorrow. I need to just continue working. And they don't even have time to go out there and, and enjoy themselves or, you know, make a painting or or take their energy into art as you do. I think that's on purpose. It's engineered so that we are in this negative trends all the time, focus on what they want us to do all the time. But I remember, Paul, my mother forbidding my siblings and I from playing the Ouija board when we were kids. She used to say that by playing that game, you're giving them whatever that mean, them means. You're asking and giving permission for an entity to come through and manifest. A door remains open and entities continue to come through like uninvited party guests. Could Wetiko enter this way? Yeah, totally. I mean, Watiko is entering that way. I mean, we we think when we think of ourselves and of who we are, we conceive of ourselves uh, as existing as like, you know, typically as an ego, as this reference point in space and time, and that every moment we're the same being and there's a constancy and a continue, continue, you know, continuality, if that's even a word between from one moment to the next of, of who we're thinking we are. And because Watiko before I came, I came across the word Watiko, I was tracking it, but I didn't have the name, and I called it malignant egophrenia, M-E disease, me disease. It's a misidentification of who we think we are. That's the essence of Watiko. And so if we're conceiving of ourselves <clears throat> as existing, as this skin-encapsulated ego, as this separate self, to say it simply, well, then that itself is to have fallen under the spell of Watiko because we're a multiplicity of selves. Every, every moment, <clears throat> there's a new self that in a way gets into our driver's seat and steers our vehicle and that typically isn't even aware of the previous self. So there's no connection between these multiplicity of selves. And one way of, of you know, even saying more about that is that at any given moment, this like split off part of ourselves or maybe what appears as if it's an entity can get in our driver's seat and we just identify with it. And then as soon as we identify with it, if you remember what I was saying, as soon as we identify with what Hiko's version of ourselves, it has us. And then we indulge in that particular identity, whatever it wants to do, however it wants to behave, however it wants to think, however it wants to believe. And then all of a sudden, we've unwittingly offered ourselves as a conduit, as an instrument for that seeming entity um, or that split off part of ourselves 
to to enact itself. And then the next moment, another part comes in that maybe isn't us or maybe it is us in one way, but it's not us in another way. But if we just fully identify with it, then we act out that part. And the point is, is that oftentimes we're acting out in ways that don't serve our best interest. And what I'm pointing at, that's why I was pointing at that Watiko is informing the process of addiction and of trauma that we're all of a sudden we're supporting, you know, for example, we're supporting like a political candidate whose policies would would kill us. But, oh, no, we're fanatically in support of them. Well, how do you explain that? You know, so the point is, I mean, what you're asking, it's such a great question and contemplation because, yeah. There, what I'm pointing at is to bring awareness to this process I'm describing, that we do have a multiplicity of selves and that there are other seeming entities. And I say seeming because I don't want to invest these entities with an objective existence that might not, they might not deserve. And, um, and to just bring awareness to that, all of a sudden you might have a thought about somebody or a belief or a perspective and you might actually become aware, wait a second, I don't think that way. That's not how I see things. Who's thinking that way? It's as if some form of other energy has come over through your blind spot of the unconscious and taken you over and sat in your seat and at that moment is driving your vehicle. And and then when we act it out, it can feel compulsive because we're not in control. Because it's in control. And what I'm describing, that's Watiko. Is there a flip side to Watiko? In other words, is there a good Watiko or is it all bad? Yeah, no, no. It's There is a good aspect to it. Um, in alchemy, or I think in, in Faust, um, Goethe talks about that evil is the process that at first intends destruction and invariably ends up creating something good. And so, in other words, Watiko is a process. Think about it as a living process, you know, that can appear incredibly evil and it can act out evil in unbelievably destructive ways. And, um, but at the same time, being, you know, being a quantum phenomena like the, the Mercurius figure in alchemy, it has in a superposition of states within it this incredible blessing. Because, like, one way to think about it is that because Watiko is the source of, of, you know, trauma or wounding or will act out our abuse, and then we'll dissociate, we'll be hurt, we'll feel not ourselves. But if we then go in search of ourselves as a result of that wounding, and we actually, for example, like in the shamanic journey, find the split off part of ourselves and, and remember, you know, we put our members back together, we integrate, we recollect that you know, that part of ourselves, part of our soul, then we attain even this deeper wholeness than before the trauma. And so the point is, is that Watiko, it's spurring the evolution of our species. It's catalyzing the evolution of our species. And, um, but in potential, because it all depends. You see, Watiko is this, it's like this kind of like a revelatory phenomena it's actually this living revelation that if we don't recognize the revelatory aspect then it kills us over time okay 
But if we have the recognition that it's revealing to us who we are, it's revealing to us the dreamlike nature, it's revealing to us our creative agency and power, then all of a sudden it manifests its blessing aspect comes to the fore. But if we don't recognize that, then it just continues. It's it's programmed. It's like a robot that's just programmed to destroy us. The title of the book is Wetiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plays Our World. How can people buy the new book, Paul, and the other books that you've published? And how can people learn more about your work? Yeah, and um, well, thank you. The um, I mean, on the one hand, the book is available on Amazon and in every bookstore in, in multiple galaxies around the universe. But also they can go to my website, awakenindthedream.com, www.awakenindthedream.com. All of my books are available there. And, um, you know, I'm happy to autograph them. And there's a ton of articles all for free. There's a ton of interviews, you know, that you can listen to all for free. And, um, yeah, I just want to get this work out. I mean, because it really, really is medicine. And so that would be the way for people to more connect with my work. One more hour to go. We'll get deeper in part two, and we'll also discuss how to break the chains of Wetiko. My special guest is Paul Levy. I'm El Hasselrich, and you're listening to Veritas. See you in the member section for part two. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.